What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. The fight against Donald Trump is a fight above all for voters and against vote suppression. And one of the key battles to expand voting rights and push back against vote suppression is going on right now in the key swing state of Florida. For many years, voting rights activists there have been campaigning to restore voting rights to felons. And now an initiative to do just that will appear on the ballot in Florida in November. For that story, we turn to Sasha Abramsky. He writes regularly for The Nation. He's the author of several books, including The American Way of Poverty, The House of 20,000 Books, and most recently, Jumping at Shadows, The Triumph of Fear and the End of the American Dream. Sasha, welcome back. John, thanks for having me on again. So how many people would get their right to vote back if Florida passes what they call Proposition 4 on November 6th? Well, it's an absolutely huge story because the thing about Florida and several other states in the South in particular is that they have a process that is essentially permanent disenfranchisement. So if you lose the right to vote because you've been convicted of a felony, the mechanism for getting re-enfranchised at the back end of your sentence is so cumbersome that almost nobody does it. For decades, you had relatively stable disenfranchisement numbers because you had relatively stable, and in the historical scheme of things, relatively low numbers of people going to prison, numbers of people getting felony convictions. What makes this an absolutely enormous number is the juxtaposition of permanent disenfranchisement with mass incarceration and with the wholesale conviction of drug users in particular in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s of felonies. So you have this accumulating problem where more and more and more people are picking up felonies and they're not getting re-enfranchised. So when they come out at the back end of their sentence, they remain disenfranchised. And the numbers are hard to get exactly because, first of all, Nobody compiles data of ex-felons and ex-prisoners who live in a given state. And second of all, Florida disenfranchises people regardless of where their felony conviction was. So you can live pretty much anywhere in the country. If you come into Florida after a felony conviction, you can't vote in Florida. Oh. All by way of saying that the numbers are very, very large, but they're estimates. But here's the estimate. The estimate is that about 1.8 million Floridians, which is about 10% of Floridians, have felony records. 1.4 million of those would be eligible for re-enfranchisement. The ones who aren't are people who are still in prison or on probation, they never went to prison in the first place, or on parole. And the other ones who aren't, and this was a compromise made by the authors of the amendment, the other ones who aren't are sexual offenders and people convicted of murder. So if you factor out those two categories of crime, you factor out those still in prison, those still on parole or probation, you're still left with 1.4 million people who, if this passes, will now become eligible to vote. Tell us a little about the campaign in Florida to restore voting rights to felon. Who's organizing it? How did it get started? What's the argument that they've been making? 
in terms of who started it, this is very much grassroots driven and it's actually organized and led by, they, they call themselves returning citizens, people who've either been in prison or been on probation and they've completed their sentences and they're trying to remake their lives, they're trying to reintegrate themselves into the society and they found that they cannot vote. And so primarily this is a grassroots led campaign by people who are at the wrong end of disenfranchisement codes. Now, that said, there are also criminal justice reform groups that have gotten involved in this because this, is, this has been an issue for years. Um, I wrote about it after the 2000 election when mass disenfranchisement in Florida was clearly one of the things that pushed George Bush over the edge in that hotly contested race for the presidency where it came down to a dead heat in Florida. So this has been a sort of holy grail of criminal justice reformers for decades. I think the reason it's acquiring traction now, partly there's this interesting coalition between progressives and conservatives that's emerged over the last 10 years or so around disenfranchisement. And so you have a lot of conservative groups, especially religious conservative groups, that are talking the language of second chance. They're talking the language of redemption. And so in Florida, there's this really interesting coalition. You've got the sort of more traditional criminal justice reform groups. But then you've also got the Christian coalition and various other groups who have come aboard and said, yes, we think it's only fair that voters get a second chance. And so I think one of the reasons it's been so successful is this coalition of groups has been going around the state, not just to traditionally liberal parts of the state. They've been going all over the state and they've been telling stories. They've been explaining the impact on individuals of disenfranchisement. They've been putting a human face to this massive number, 1.8 million people who cannot vote in this state. So how's it doing in, in the opinion polls? Is this going to pass? Mm -hmm. I know that in Florida, propositions like this require more than 50%. I think it's 60%. Can they get to 60%? percent On one level, that's an uphill climb. On another level, when you look at the opinion poll data, the numbers are very good. Across the state, it's polling well above 60% at this point. Wow. When you break it down, it's polling a majority support by men, majority support by women. It's polling a majority support amongst both Democrats and Republicans and also independents. It's polling a majority support amongst whites, blacks, and Latinos. So in every demographic group, it's polling well. Now, obviously, there's still six weeks to go until the election. There's going to be an awful lot of um, conversation about this. There's going to probably be an awful lot of media about this. But at this point, it certainly got a good chance of passing. What about undecided voters at this point? Are they a significant factor? Usually they are six or seven weeks out. The polling suggests there are very few people who are undecided and very few people who haven't heard of the initiative. This is something that's gotten an awful lot of attention and an awful lot of people have heard about it and have made up their mind on it. So there actually isn't at this point a huge pool of undecided voters left. And how come the campaign to restore uh, voting rights to felons has been so apparently successful in Florida, given that vote suppression is so important to the Republican Party and Florida has a Republican governor and has been a, divi a very divided state politically? Yeah, I, I think there are a few things going on. The first is that actually, even though federally we're sort of going into reverse on criminal justice with Jeff Sessions at the Justice Department and you know all kinds of bad things happening federally, at a state level, 
we're at a very interesting moment because more and more states are fundamentally rethinking their approach to criminal justice. And you see that in drug policy, you see it in harm reduction policy, you see it even in bail reform like we have now in California, that it's more and more politically palatable to talk about the impacts of mass incarceration. It's no longer a third rail to talk about criminal justice reform in a way that it was in the 80s, in a way it was in the 90s. You, you, you think of Bill Clinton and the you know, really awful lengths that Bill Clinton went to to avoid being seen as soft on crime, including embracing you know, very, very punitive federal sentencing guidelines, including embracing massive expenditures on new prisons, on expanding law enforcement apparatus, and so on. Um, but that's no longer the case. There's, there's a national conversation going on around the role of justice and the discriminatory impact of a large part of the justice system, which means there's space for a conversation where it wasn't space, you know, even a few years ago. In Florida, it's really interesting because you're absolutely right. The governor, Governor Scott, is absolutely awful on this issue. And he's gone out of his way to slow down reenfranchisement. He's gone out of his way to make it all but impossible for individuals who are petitioning for clemency to get that and to get reenfranchised. By contrast, if you look at the gubernatorial candidates, the Democratic candidate has come out in support of Amendment 4. But the more interesting one is the Republican candidate, DeSantis, has not come out against it. He hasn't said he's in favor. But he's essentially sat this one out. Now, in the primaries, other Republican candidates did come out against Amendment 4. But DeSantis has been very, very careful not to inject himself into this debate. He said it's up to the citizens of Florida. Now, that doesn't mean that as we get nearer to the election, there won't be dirty tricks. It doesn't mean that as we get nearer, the Republican Party won't use racially inflammatory language because a disproportionate number of the disenfranchised are non-white. It doesn't mean any of that. But it does mean that there is an opening here because the Republican Party are on the defensive on this. They realize it doesn't look good in the current context or in any context to embrace disenfranchisement measures. And let me just conclude by saying a few words about just to remind our listeners how important Florida is in American politics. It's the fourth biggest state. That means it has the fourth largest number of electoral votes in picking the president. Trump carried Florida 49 to 48 percent. He had about 110,000 votes more than Hillary. Uh, You said there are 1.4 million people eligible to get the right to vote back if Proposition 4 passes. Almost all of them are non-white men. Well, of course, well we, have, we have to be careful about that. The, the, the disenfranchisement numbers are so huge in Florida, and they basically go across demographics. So, yes, there are more non-white men who are impacted by disenfranchisement, but there are certainly hundreds of thousands of white men and women who are also impacted. And one one of the things the reenfranchisement campaign has been extremely good at talking about is how this is a nonpartisan or should be a nonpartisan issue. That it doesn't matter whether people will vote Democrat or will vote Republican or will vote something else entirely, that this is a basic human rights issue, that you can't run a modern democracy if you exclude that many people permanently from the electoral process. Sasha Abramsky. He wrote about the campaign to restore voting rights to felons in Florida for The Nation. You can read him at thenation.com. Thank you, Sasha. Very welcome. Thanks again. 
You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.